Kia ora and welcome to another episode of the Stag Raw. This episode I'm joined by Tim Taylor, who is the North Island rep for the NZDA, comes out of NZDA Bay of Plenty, so number 264, we were joined by Tim, and I didn't know this before we started recording, but Tim uh, held a Guinness, a Guinness Book World Record for a while there for his exploits in kayaking. You can check Tim's kayaking page out on Instagram, at New Zealand Kayaker, also uh, Ruahini Kayaks on Instagram, and also jump over to the NZDA Bay of Plenty, that's Deerstalkers Bop Instagram page. I'll have those links in the show notes. Checking out the links in the show notes is the best way to support this podcast. If you skipped through uh, the ad reads, it doesn't matter. Um, if you can just click on the links in the show notes, things like Cane's Deer Velvet, Drink Element, Drink Aripa, that'll be handy. That's the best way to support this podcast. And of course, if there's something you like there, um, purchasing from those people helps to support the podcast. So that leads us to reading about these awesome products. Often, we happily spend money on maintaining our vehicles and homes, but are more reluctant to do so with our own bodies. While diet, exercise and clean living can go so far, our bodies sometimes can't keep up with demands and then injuries, aches and pains tend to become increasingly troublesome. This is because some of the vital nutrients the body uses to maintain our joints and general well-being have become depleted. On the flip side, it's astounding how well the body heals when it has what it needs. With Kane's Deer Velvet on board, the body is refueled with amazing nutrients it uses in maintaining the immune system, bones, joints, circulation and general well-being. With the tank topped up, it can get on with the magic of healing and restoration. Find out more at www.kanesdeervelvet.com and use the code STAGRAW252 for a 20% discount. As we spoke about drink element, tell you what, I was uh, glad I had some drink elements on board after the ball down there in Hawke's Bay on the weekend. Crikey Dickens, nothing like um, a bit of watermelon salt electrolytes to uh, get things back on par, but I saw uh, Ryan Nicholson doing something far more productive um, and silly probably on his um, assault bike. He was uh, trying to keep up with the rounds in the UFC on Sunday and uh, a bit of drink element came in handy there. I've found that the same post-run-up Mount Tohara or or post those silly 1,000 calories on the assault bike, drink element really gives you the fuel, gives you the electrolyte to not... uh, get all dizzy and, and dehydrated and of course drink arepa shared it with the crew at the nzda stand at the seeker show beautiful stuff the brain food helps get the uh, brain back on on track sugar free caffeine free but uh, that l-theanine from the pine bark extract does wonders for keeping you on task so check out the sponsors in the show notes as well as all the links to uh, tim and, and rohini kayaks um, as well as NZDA Bay of Plenty. If you're a hunter, make sure you're joining NZDA. Again, you can find a link to that in the show notes. And without further ado, episode 264 with the legend Tim Taylor. It's not the best, best camera work on Instagram, but that doesn't matter. Oh. We'll, we'll ignore that. They, yeah. they, they can just be on in the background. 
how long have you been hunting for, Tim? Uh, I've been hunting since I was 16, so yeah. did the hunts course with my club back then, so yeah, fair old while now. And where was that based? Uh, in Tauranga. Tauranga? So, yep, so the Tauranga Deerstalkers. So. Yeah. Yep. so what did a 16-year-old, what did a hunt, hunts course look like? What was the, the promise or the expectation going along to that? Um, well, I don't come from a hunting background, so no, no one in my family had guns or anything, but I just had this desire. So I rocked on up to the club and they said, this is what you need to do. And yeah, it's just like a, I think it's six weeks course that they run you through and um, culminates with the, the final weekend where you go out on a, a guided hunt with other, another member. And um, yeah, it just sort of gives you that introduction to hunting really. Um, and during that, you did your firearms test and things. So. So, you, so you did that as part of getting your firearms license? I did, yeah. yeah. Yep. So, And I know um, even talking to people recently that the firearms officers still treat that as like a highly desirable thing. Um, if you're doing your hunts course, that they um, recognise that. So yeah. yeah, I guess it's giving a purpose to owning a gun. <laughs> nice, nice. And so you said you were 16, you're from a family that didn't really hunt. How, how has that sort of hunting journey you know, affected and shaped your life since then? Yeah, it's been different. Um, a lot of trial and error. Yeah. Um, yeah, it took me a year to get my first deer. I started just going on the club hunts and bumbling along behind someone. Um, and then I just simply went out on my own to the, those same places. And um, yeah, from there, I just got more and more into it. Um, and probably like the last seven or eight years is when I've been a bit more serious about it and yeah. um, putting a bit more effort in and, and it's yeah it's as you put that time in it, it really does start clicking and the more you do it the better you get and it's quite enjoyable <laughs> yeah absolutely so you, you use that word serious about hunting so what, how would you sort of define that and how does that you know being a hunter identifying as a hunter how does that cross over into your day-to-day life yeah ah, hard question <laughs> um so being serious like so I've always just gone out to shoot a deer. Uh, I didn't really have a purpose. Yep. Just wanted to kill something. Um, and now I'm getting a bit more selective with what I shoot and um, targeting different species. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of the serious component for me. Um, but like hunting is my my time off. It's my away from life sort of thing. So um, my job has been kayaking. Uh, my entire professional life so sort of for me to get away from water entirely and and do a sport that challenges me that I have to work at and quite often fail at it's um, yeah it's just been a really good thing to completely escape and learn a different set of skills. When did you start kayaking and what type of kayaking were you doing? Uh, so I started at high school uh, with whitewater kayaking. Mm-hmm. So I grew up um, I was in the New Zealand whitewater slalom team growing up um, uh, my big sort of claim to fame is I kayaked around the whole of New Zealand in a sea kayak um, and then I've also done a Guinness World Record for it as well so um, yeah spent 10 years guiding and, and nowadays I build the kayaks so I have my own company that we're just manufacturing flat out um, but it, it gets a bit all-consuming so <laughs> um, sometimes I like to switch off. So if anyone's looking for a kayak what's, what's the little plug for your kayaks? <laughs> uh, don't bother calling me we're too busy. <laughs> Can I, can I ask you a geek question then? What, how you, how you, are you um, moulding those or are you vacuuming those? Or? Yeah, so all of our kayaks are composite, so a mixture of fibreglass, carbon fibre, carbon kevlar. Um, so we do hand layups for all of our stuff. Um, a little bit of vacuum bagging, but mostly it's hand layup. Um, yeah, so um, we specialise in the coast-to-coast market, so yeah. all those long skinny ones that you see 
driving around the country and um, <laughs> yeah and then we do big walkers and um, sea kayaks and fishing kayaks and things. Yeah. Fantastic. So what was a Guinness World Record attempt? Uh, the longest distance kayaked in 24 hours on an open ocean. Yeah. So I did 209 k's. And did you crack it or? Yeah. Yeah. The record was. 180 something yeah. so yeah I smashed that one yeah okay and is it still stand or no 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 some South Africans uh, beat me last year so yeah um, yeah and it will get beaten again soon I reckon it's open ocean is quite a different kettle of fish um, the South Africans better in 11 hours mm-hmm. but they went out in like 40 odd knots of wind and 8 meter swells and just surfed as fast as they could so um, they, they bet the record and then they stopped so someone will just paddle a bit longer next time yeah, yeah. Um, it's just the conditions that they've got off their coast. So what made you do that? I uh, just wanted to try it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd done 12-hour paddles when I went around New Zealand, so just wondered what I could do in 24 hours, and, and it was an official record, so yeah. yeah, it was a bit of a laugh. And yeah. and then so how did, you, how did you get in touch with Guinness, and what was the process like there? And uh, you just jump on their website and apply. And then what do they give you? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get a certificate at the end if you win it, but yeah, yeah you can pay to get their adjudicators there and, and get all the official fanfare, but it costs tens of thousands. So, yeah. um, But anyone can apply to do a record, and if you, that, they give you like a little pack of the evidence that is required, and um, if you submit that and ultimately succeed, then you get your certificate. So. And um, what was the sort of health and safety protocols for doing this stuff like? Oh, there's none. none. <laughs> no. Perfect country for it, eh? Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, it's yeah. just paddle as far as you can yeah. in the open. <laughs> so. so, as you said, you, you go bush to get away from from rivers and lakes. Like, yeah. Uh, what's what's the crossover? What skills have do you take into the bush, and and, and what do you learn? Oh, um, I guess like mental capacity is the big one. Um, I find, particularly with new hunters, when they get into the sport, you know, they, their entire drive is you've got to kill something, and if they don't kill something straight away, then, oh, hunting's not for me, but it shouldn't be about that all the time. I feel like you should want to be out in that environment and, like, enjoy being there. You should relax, and um, and when, you know, having that capacity that when it's tough, like, to be able to dig a bit deeper, um, I find that humans are capable of way more than what they're, they think they can, so... Yeah, um, and like typical, you shoot a deer in the middle of nowhere and you still got to get it out, which may be like a four or a five hour walk with a 50 kilo pack. And like, yeah, you've got to understand that side of it. So, um, yeah. And, and so like training for kayaking, like that's, that's kind of type two fun, especially like you show up day in, day out, do the hard yards, knowing that some sometime down the road you're going to compete in this thing and it might pay off that you end up winning. Like. Correct. Yeah. How, how do you how do you feel about that when you when you're on the hill putting one foot in front of the other to climb a climb a spur to, to get to maybe a country that holds dear? Um, <laughs> to be honest, in in a lot of ways it's very similar. Um, so, for instance, I did my first tar hunt this year in winter, and I was struggling with that like big time. Um, I, I hate heights. I can't handle them, and I was freaking out. And my partner said to me a while back. She goes, "Oh." Um, the saying she goes how do you eat a whale yeah one bite at a time and that's sort of the way that I operate doing long distance I don't think of 24 hours of kayaking I think of one hour of kayaking doing it 24 times and so when I was hunting that was the same thing I was like well all I've got to do is just to get to that next little spur and it'll be sweet and then the same deal keep going keep going and then you're into shooting position and then we're coming down in the middle of a storm and it's just like well I'll just make that scree slope and once I'm there then I'll assess it and and if you break it down into a lot smaller chunks, then it's a lot more achievable. And 
ultimately you're able to process it a little bit more. So yeah, yeah. What's, what's your confidence like going out there? Like uh, I know when I came back to New Zealand uh, from being away in Australia, so that that had been a good 18 months without hunting. I mm. had that real nervousness about getting into the bush. Yeah. Despite having done it, despite having gone into the likes of the Kalmai's and walked in circles and things like that, I, I, it took three or four times to like I say, let go of the anxiousness and, and just enjoy the environment. Like, did you, did you have, you know, 16 year olds is, is a pretty good age to get into something. Yeah, yeah, 16 you don't really give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays you have a lot more things on your mind, but yeah, um, yeah like thick bush is, is a serious mental game. Yeah. Um, it does take a bit of time to relax in there, and I definitely when you're doing those longer trips where you may be a couple of days away from a road or whatever, it, it takes a bit of time to relax, yeah. And it still affects me, but it's just, um, again, just appreciate it for what it is. And yeah, how do you feel about heights now? Oh, I hate them. <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah, they they do my head in. But yeah, it's just trying to manage the risks that you can and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, I was with a really good buddy for that tar trip who who said he's just like, oh, look, it's not that big a deal if you just do this and follow me. And yep, sure enough. So it's it's. Um, yeah, just handling those things as you come across them and then you grow because mm. like the next day we went up the same hill and you're just like, oh, that's easy now. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, how's the confidence now? Like, Oh, yeah, I could do it with a lot more practice, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I was in very steep bush country last weekend yeah. and it was as steep as what you get in the Southern Alps and um, walking across that but I had a lot more confidence with my footwork mm -hmm. um, trusting I had really good boots on and I knew how that they I could kick them into scree and stuff and and it paid off then so yeah yeah and um, so living in a place like Tauranga you know there's, there's plenty of people in that city what are, what uh, are people missing about their surrounds well, you know like you sit outside lunchtime you, you go go to Pukki go go Kaimais but then you can be three hours away and further afield and world's your oyster yeah exactly that you know um i do a thing over summer i just call them mini hunts where it's just after work shoot up the kaimais and you know if you're getting there at half past five you can hunt for two or three hours before it gets dark and and that was what i was doing for training my deer dog yep. just um doing it regular and often and the guys in the club were like oh where are you getting all these deer and i was just like i just jump off the side of the kaimais like off the road there and um so we've got a lot right there if you just want to go and explore it and then yeah really close to the other areas um Tiotawetas, Ruahinis, um, Puriora's they're, they're all pretty close so yeah yeah no it's it's, it's good um at the moment I'm commuting Taupo to Tukaroa and that's exactly the same thing I've realized is like I can be at the um road end for uh in half an hour and then I can have two three hours of walking and, and like I was saying to Callum earlier, you know, I could smell the deer and, you know, you come up with all the excuses why they didn't come out. You know, it was a three-quarter moon, I managed to walk back with, with no head torch on, but again, that, that knowledge that, hey, um, within half an hour I can be hunting for two hours is it, oh, fantastic. It's an amazing country, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, like I spent a season working in Milford Sound. Oh, wow. And um, I was just hunting off the side of the road there and normally shooting a deer within sight of the ute. And the boys down there were going, where are you getting all these animals? And I was like, I just park over there. Like, but no one shoots in the bush down here. I was like, I've noticed. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, we, we spent hours getting to the tops to find these bulls. And I'm just like, well, they're right next to the road. <laughs> so. yeah, actually, my, my younger brother was doing a survey project in Milford Sound. And yeah, they, they had the same experience, the guy that he was with. 
Um, I think he wanted that job so he could do exactly that. They were driving back to Tiana and oh, we'll pull in here. You know, I think they walked ten minutes and up on a up on a face there was some deer and they and they shot it. Yeah, but it's just that it's a different way of thinking for most people. So that yeah, you know, there's a lot of animals close if you want to go looking for them. Yeah, no, it's it's always. Um, heartbreaking driving over the Kaimaisen and thinking oh it's just right there <laughs> and they are like the, the last deer I got up there was 200 meters from that Kaimai Summit car park yeah yeah it, they are really close um, so and they don't care about the traffic <laughs> yeah. yeah no no it's fantastic yeah. so like um, now, now you're involved with Bay of Plenty and National what's that experience been like yeah it's it's really good um, I think people have a perception that the deer stalkers is an old man's club um, which it probably was for a long time. Um, it's really evolving at the moment, so it's quite an exciting space. And um, within the branches, and um, we're seeing a lot of new guys come in into the committees, and there's like a general energy about that. Um, and then within the, the national executive, which I'm now on, um, like it's probably 50-50. So there's some really good knowledge, and then there's some good energy as well. So it's been it's a, a, a really interesting process to get into it, and. Um, there's a lot going on in the hunting space which I think the average person doesn't understand like you know we all know about the 1080 drops but like how much work goes into submissions behind the scenes uh, what Gwen does is amazing for that um, then the firearms legislation that we've been battling with over the last sort of year or so um, yeah there's just a lot of sort of quite meaty topics and I think our organisation is really sort of front footing that um, I even commented to the boys like it's great that we we go into doc meetings now and, and like we get invited to go to them and we're sitting at the same table with them and I think that's a really good thing like we're not seen as these rednecks now we're like a partner um, we don't get our way with doc often but the fact that we're at the table I think is a good space to be in um, same with the firearm stuff we had um, the head guy come into our, um, our board meeting the other day and spent two the head policeman that is and so the fact that they do that and they engage with us it um, it really does show that our organisations like it, it's getting to quite a mature space, and um, and that we're achieving goals just for us hunters, really. So absolutely. How, how did you sort of feel on that Sunday show the other week? Uh, I can't think of his last name. Jeff pointed the finger that maybe the inverted commas hunting lobby was, you know, degrading. Um, oh dear, someone just dropped their phone. Degrading Doc's ability to manage deer, but. If you come to any NZDA meeting or Secret Foundation meeting or Fjordal Mopity Foundation meeting or Tar Foundation meeting, it's all about herd animal management. How, how did that sort of statement strike you? I didn't see it, sorry. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't have a tally. Oh, that's a pretty good move. <laughs> yeah, um, I get where you're coming from, though. Yeah, um, it's you hear comments like that. I feel like those people probably aren't in the same room that we're in with the people that we deal with at DOC yeah. because there is a general desire for management out there now. and. Um, I know that Doc still doesn't like the, the amount of animals that are around and that's fair enough because there's probably too many um, but we are getting to that space now of management and if that means encouraging our members to go out and bomb up a heap of hinds then I think we're happy to do that so mm -hmm. um, we just want to be at the same table and instead of going this place has to be 1080 why don't Doc tell us um, you know we really need the numbers down in this area get on it and if we did, then we wouldn't get 1080 maybe. Like, that would be a great place to be at. So, yeah. um, and I think in time we'll get there. So, yeah, um, yeah, that sort of hunter lobby is, it's a funny one. Cause, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess it's all, all in perspective, isn't it? Uh, I think Jeff uh, 
walks in a few circles that uh, would, would, would lean on activism um, for, yeah. for the other end of the spectrum. So, yeah. yeah, and well, like we got asked the other day, um, I was at a meeting to do with the Kaimais, and they were like, oh, you know, how do you feel like what Doc does up there? I was like, Doc does not do anything in the Kaimais. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, they are not in there, full stop. Yeah. It's um, the Thames Valley and the Bay of Plenty um, Deer Stalkers branch and Tramway Trust or whatever. Uh, Ridgeway. Yeah. We manage all the huts in the Kaimais. Right. Ridgeway Trust uh, cuts all the tracks in the Kaimais. And then you got um, the Kaimai Mamaku Forum guys are doing the pest control work. Like Doc does not exist up there. So if they say that hunting is a lobby group, but it's just like, well, Doc is not a depo- conservation group anymore because they're not there. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just. Yeah, well, one of the, my frequent spots in the Kaimais is the Manga, was it, uh, Mangamuka Hut. Yep. yep. Uh, I, l- I love seeing uh, NZDA Bay of Plenty on the door of that every time. It, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Our branch cut the track into that one. So. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing, isn't it? If, mm. you, if you look at um, some maps, that track's not on there, but. Uh, Didn't used to be, no. <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that swamp halfway along is a little bit, a little bit dry, mm. luckily now, which is nice. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, fantastic. And so, do you, you know, you said you get away from the water, but do you take, go fishing or kayak fishing or anything like that? Or just, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you do. You still, do it all, yeah. Still, still dabble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, it's, I've done a lot of it. So, yeah, um, I recently got a boat and sort of rebuilt that. So now to spend time with my partner on that, sort of more important than out in my fishing kayak on my own. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what's, what's sort of some of the ecology things that need to be thought about in the climates? Um I'm a big believer there's way too many animals. It's yep. way more open than it was when I was a kid. Um, so are you going up the Titui track to the Mangamupa? Yeah, yeah. So that's the area I used to hunt as a teenager, and it was thick then. Mm-hmm. And the last time I went in, I was like, you could play cricket under the trees. It was so open in some places. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously too many animals. Um, I saw stoats up there for the first time. Same here, yeah. Actually right past the turn-off one day, I was going in there and I raced, raced one down the track. Yeah, so like that's not good. Um, yeah. The fact that when you look at the forest floor and there is just no seedlings, yeah, it's just bare leaf litter. That's like some people would say this is great. It's open. It's like to me that's the sign that it's it's just failing. Yeah. There's no regrowth, so you're getting mice and rats eating the seeds and the small plants that are trying to regrow. So there is just nothing coming up underneath, and then. Um, dare I say it, you have some sort of big climate event where you might knock a few trees over, there's going to be nothing to replace them. So, yeah, it's it's seriously in danger of sort of collapsing in some way. Yeah, and there's plenty, plenty of zones up there that are full of hook, uh, hook grass, meadows, and, and, or little pockets of meadows and stuff like that that yep. you, you, you come across. And, yeah, yeah. Um, the superjack, yep. I'm sure you've found that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> like, you know, when you're going into those spots and, and you like the sun blots out like that's not a natural thing to have superjack like that so um obviously it came from the logging back in the day so um yeah but it's i mean there's room for improvement that's for sure um and and have you guys got any um goals to sort of start trapping along those those lines or anything like that not that i know of um the kaimai mamaku forum guys are doing a lot of that work at the moment so Um, they got a huge amount of money for the Jobs for Nature thing, so um, I think that's sort of their, their area, that they're, they're um, training a lot of um, people for, for trapping and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, our club in particular doesn't really have anything going on. Um, but what about clearing and, mo- and punching those those that data into into traps and stuff like that? that those that's probably early days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it's just a case of there's not enough people to do it all. So yeah, and, yeah. and, and that's you know if anyone out there is listening, that's from that group. Once once they're installed, empowering people that you know are in the bush often to be able to clear and report. You know, it's, it's a simple task. Trip, you know, Trips NZ is such a great app. I, I managed to be on part of the Kawika um, via trip line and, and, you know, you go in, you take some photos of the traps that you cleared and then punch in the number of what you what you cleared away and, and, and the data's all there. And, oh, that's awesome. And the trap's reset and ready to catch another critter. Yeah, well, that's what it should be. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's yeah. right. You know, you, know, you, can have, you can have two hits with, with, a, with a Dock two, uh, 250, but... Mm. Once that's over, then they're running around. Yeah. And, and we even had the case uh, on the McKenna Ridge where I cleared one going into the McKenna hut. We cleared a second on the way out, and then the next week, someone in the group cleared a third, and all in the same box. And so it's just like, you know, if you can turn them over, then, then you can get get the rats or, or whatever, the mice or all, this, all those stoats. Is. Yeah. Then the bird life carries on. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the sort of thing hunters want to be doing. It's just... Well, and it's just easy, isn't it? Yeah. You're on your way to something. <laughs> Yeah, um, do you like carcass screeching at you? I do. Yeah, <laughs> I love carcass. So. Yeah, uh, there's, there's uh, something eerie about it, that, that massive screech. I, I I fully heard it for the first time um, in the putty orders in May. I thought it was pigs, but then then the old went in between. I was like, oh, hang on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the old, old, the old carcass put the shits up here. Yeah. Same same with the old um, wood pigeons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old uh, one thing I really like is that. Um, the long tail cuckoo. Yes. Yeah. See them occasionally um, in, over in the Clements Mill, and yep. yeah, like the first time I sort of figured out what that was, I was like, oh, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had the same deal up, up behind uh, Macintosh Mac- Hut. Uh, anyway, in in the east, uh, western end of the Carwickers. Okay. Yeah, going up into into the uh, beautiful pine knot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, this thing screeching at me. I was like, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. Think, thankfully, there's plenty of people out there with, with the knowledge. Mm. Yeah. Oh, Tim. Pretty good. Thank you very much. No worries. Thanks. And uh, cheers. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. <laughs>